You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 15, today we're in Carcassonne. Then Kreuzberg crashed and was, uh, immediately was uh, clear that he could not continue. He crashed hard on his shoulder and uh, uh, then we jumped in the car uh, to continue to, to chase the peloton. And just when we, when we arrived, uh, uh, Jonas and, and Tish were on the ground on a very bad moment as well. So everybody, everybody waited for them and uh, got dropped in, in, uh, in by trying back to bring Jonas back to the peloton. I think Jonas looked quite okay after that, and uh, Christoph and Wout uh, did a really good job keeping him in front, especially Christoph. I think uh, big support to him uh, what, what he did in the last 50k uh, with Jonas, and uh, we arrived safe, but uh, yeah, we are another man down, and uh, that's of course not good. Uh, luckily, there's a rest day tomorrow, and then uh, we, we, we see what, uh, what the impact of this day was for us. With Stevie, that we, we missed one very, really important month, domestic, but that's life, and we have to do it with six, and then we will do it with six. That was Grisha Neerman of Jumbo Visma reflecting on a surprisingly difficult day for the Jumbo Visma team because Jonas Vingegaard lost two key support riders for the mountains, Primoz Roglic and Steven Krausweik. Well, cheers, Francois. What are we drink? What are we drinking? We're drinking rosé from the area, actually. It's a, I'm not going to tell you I know it, but it's called Domaine La Louvière, Le Marquis Rosé 2021. It's Malpère. Malpère is one of the appellations in, in the area. You've got uh, Minervois and, you know, a little bit further down in Corbière. But it's, so if I read the label, you know, like, like this, this way I sound very, you know, I know everything about the... I don't know why it's, yeah, it's called Le, Le Marquis. And so, so it says, just like a rosé, a marquis is considered like elegant, distinguished and charming. This marquis is made of grapes, Cabernet Franc, Saint-Souen, Malbec. And it's supposed to taste of uh, strawberries, nuts and uh, grapefruit. So, you know, and this is going to charm all our senses, say La Louvière, Le Marquis. So that's what we're having. It's okay. It's uh, drinkable. Yeah. Elegant, distinguished and charming, Francois. <laughs> I could almost be talking about you. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, in a way. It's only 12 degrees then, you know. I'm probably a little bit higher in uh, alcohol. Well, you may well realise that I'm back. Lionel Burney speaking. I'm back for my week at home. Not the best week, to be perfectly honest, although the Tour de France was fantastic in my absence. Uh, contracted COVID on the journey home. Spent 72 hours feeling pretty low. I obviously didn't have the Bob Jungles variant because there was no way I could get up out of my sick bed for a couple of days. Uh, but tested negative on Friday, so fit to come back as planned for the final week of the Tour de France and take over the baton from Ian Boswell. Uh, thank you very much for filling in, Ian. You did more than fill in, I've got to say. Have you enjoyed your week on the Tour de France on this side of the fence? I have really enjoyed it. So first off, thanks for for having me. Um, no, it's been great. And I think, you know, traveling with Francois and Ed, you know, oftentimes at home I don't geek out about cycling. My wife doesn't really care that much to, to talk about racing. Um, I don't really have too many, like, you know, high caliber, you know, former riders with me or people who want to talk in depth about the Tour de France. So it's gotten my, I've definitely gotten my fill of chatting about bike racing for a while. Well, thank you very much for keeping the cycling podcast going over the last week. And I must mention Rose Manley as well, who held everything together so brilliantly. The cycling podcast Trident, I mean, more successful than the Movistar Trident. I was going to make some kind of gag about Alejandro Valverde permanently saying that this is going to be his last year, Francois. I guess that makes you the Valverde of the podcast. I've never been a world champion as far as I know, but apart from that, yeah, yeah, the, maybe the comparison is, is valid. Well, you're the world champion of booking the restaurants on the Tour de France. We've got a booking at the Cauldron, Le Cauldron, at nine the o'clock. Chaudron, yeah. So um, we should tell people where we are. We're in Carcassonne, in a, a lovely uh, outdoor space at our B&B, next to the pool, enjoying a rosé. Um, but Francois, this has been a really hot day on the Tour de France. Even you were wearing shorts. Now, you've uh, chided me in the past for my <laughs> habit of wearing shorts on the Tour de France. Anything above sort of 25 is a hot summer's day for me. Um, but this is extraordinary heat. I told the guys, and I, I kept my words, that I, that I would only wear shorts, you know, over 40 degrees. I guess at some, you know, near the buses when we were doing the, at the buses interviewing the guys, the riders, it, it was probably over 40. So... Yeah, I was true to my word. I must say, I, I, I love to wear shorts in the 
when I'm done in Caracas in the, in, in, in the summer. Otherwise, today in the press room, they had this plastic, you know, you know what it's like <laughs> when you have plastic uh, seats and you're wearing shorts. I mean, the, 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 it's so sweaty and uh, I, I don't like this, uh, the, the, the feeling of it. So, so I, I, you know, I, I put my, my trousers on to go to the restaurant tonight. No, I, we, you would never see me go to a restaurant with shorts on. Well, there we are. I'm bucking the trend, obviously. I, I shall be attending the restaurant wearing shorts because it's cassoulet night on the Tour de France, isn't it? And, uh, well, it's a hot dish, ideal for 40-degree temperatures. Absolutely. Um, more about that uh, later on this week. I think we might even make a cassoulet uh, episode of Kilometre Zero. But I should just crack on with the tale of the attack for stage 15. It was a really hot stage from Rodez to Carcassonne down in the southwest of France. A hot stage, a hot pace, and a really frenetic final 50 kilometres as Trek Segafredo, Bora Hansgrohe and other teams tried to put the pure sprinters out of the picture over the final climbs as things broke up. As I said, 40 degree heat, and so the feeding protocols were changed because of the heat, and the riders were allowed to take drinks all the way up to the final 10 kilometres, and they were also allowed to throw away their bottles as long as they were to fans uh, anywhere that they wish so uh, the tour taking into account the hot temperatures Uh, the racing itself well there's a three-man break early on Mikel Honore of Quickstep Niels Pollitt uh, a former teammate of yours, Ian, at he Katusha. Was. Yes, he was. He was in there for Bora Hansgrohe and Wout van Aert in the green jersey, although he dropped back with around 160 kilometres to go, uh, perhaps feeling it wasn't worth uh, going all the way to the finish because the Honoré Pollock group, they never really got more than a couple of minutes, did they? It didn't look like they were going to survive. Critical day for Jumbo Visma because Stephen Kralsvijk crashed with 65 kilometres to go and has pulled out with a suspected broken collarbone. There was also a little crash for the yellow jersey, Jonas Vingegaard and Tish Benut a few kilometres after that, so a real kind of hectic panic period for Jumbo Visma. Pollock and Honoré were eventually caught There were a few other escapes that tried to go clear. I think Jonas Ruch of EF Education, Easy Post was one of them, but Trek and Bike Exchange were working very hard to try and keep things together. And uh, that actually put the big sprinters out the back, Caleb Ewan and Fabio Jakobsen, and then crucially, Dylan Groenewegen. So then Bike Exchange had a very different job to do. Over the top of that final climb, Alexis Gouger of B&B Hotels and Benjamin Thomas of Cofidis went clear and they put in a really sterling effort. I mean, they built a gap of no more than about 30 seconds, but they held that gap for a long way. Uh, Niels Pollitt, probably man of the day because he was then back on the front chasing for Bora Hansgrohe. The gap was still around the same going into the last 10 kilometres. It had come down to 10 seconds with 5 kilometres to go and that was when Benjamin Thomas dropped Gougere and it was really heroic by the Cofidis rider because he held on until 450 metres to go. Trek Segafredo were taking charge on the front of the peloton but at the sprint finish it was Jasper Philipson of Alpecin de Koenig who won his first Tour de France stage. This is his third Tour de France and he was third in Sonneborg back in Denmark, second in Calais, but first in Carcassonne. Very impressive win for Philipson ahead of Wout van Aert. His sixth top two finish in 15 stages in this Tour de France for van Aert. Mads Pedersen third, Peter Sagan fourth, Danny van Poppel fifth, and a great effort by Groenewegen to get back from almost a minute and a half down, got back into the peloton, or what was left of the peloton, and contested the sprint for sixth. No change to the top 10 overall. Vingegaard leads Pogacar by 2.22 going into tomorrow's final rest day. Wout van Aert miles clear in the green jersey competition. He's almost got enough points to win next year's green jersey the way he's going. Simon Geschke in the polka dot still. And that competition will be really interesting over the final week because there are five riders within 11 points of Geschke. Uh, Pogacar still in white. And, well... The people who withdrew today because there were some significant uh, people pulling out of the Tour de France. Primoz Roglic was a non-starter. He's been struggling since crashing earlier in the race. Two stage winners from earlier in the race, Simon Clark, who won on the cobbles, and Magnus Court, who won at Megev, both out after positive COVID tests. And Mikel Merku, the other rider out today, he was off the back early on, the quick step rider, and finished an hour and five minutes down, well, well outside the time limit. Um, he, well, rode on, must have been on his own for three quarters of the day, but kept going, crossed the line, well outside the time limit. His tour is over. Um, my tour restarts and, uh, well, we'll discuss the stage in the next part. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. 
Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Super Sapiens sponsor the cycling podcast, as I'm sure everybody knows by now. And they've also started their own podcast. The Super Sapiens podcast will be on whichever platform you listen to the cycling podcast. So search for it. It's hosted by Zylan Van Eck and Dr. David Lippmann. And their third episode, which is online now, is really interesting. It features Super Sapiens head of applied science, Dr. Howard Zisser. And he is talking about the origins of monitoring glucose levels. The early sensors were worked. Looking back, I'm surprised that people were able to use them because you're first designing something, you don't know how to, to make it work right for, for everybody. The sensors initially only had about a three-day lifespan. You got to calibrate them. Patients had to take finger sticks up to you know four-plus times uh, a day. It took a long time for the CGM manufacturers to figure out how to calibrate it from the factory. We now are very lucky to live in a, a world where you just put them in, they take you know an hour to warm up, and then they give you live data for you know up to two weeks. Find out more about Super Sapiens at supersapiens.com. Well, I didn't join you in Carcassonne. I didn't get back into the Tour de France bubble. So what was your day like, Francois? Hot. <laughs> Obviously, I, I, I like heat most of the time. I, you know, I'm a southerner. So I normally, you know, well, yeah, like it standed very, very well. And we started the day in a very nice little place that Richard had booked, you know, in Yonmond uh, in Marvejol with a swimming pool. Uh, so I, I had my little swim uh, in the morning and uh, we, we kind of struggled to, uh, you know, get get back in the car and get going to Carcassonne. But but then, you know, we watched the, 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 the stage and it went straight to the finish. Let's face it, we didn't go to Rodez. On a, on a hot day like this, you know, it was obvious we wouldn't get much from the riders at the start, and yeah, it was it was it was hot. I mean, that that was the word of the day. Everybody was you, you could see all our colleagues, you know, sweating and wearing shorts, <laughs> and you know, and lots of bottle of uh, you know that Vitel is the uh, sponsor uh, of ASO, so we got these these Vitel bottles. Uh, a, a funny thing, or ju- just a little. Uh, note there this year obviously for environmental reasons instead of small plastic bottles they're ending out big plastic bottles of Vitel probably thinking that you know there's less plastic involved I don't know but so so we we, 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 you know we got these huge two liters uh, plastic bottles and then we pour Vitel in uh, you know in cardboard cups or glasses Uh, and and as everybody well some of you might, might have seen also on the on the, on Twitter or other social networks today, uh, ASO kind of spilled uh, water on the roads uh, before the the, the 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 race got going. To I don't know what what for really to refresh the tarmac or something. So well, th- there's quite a waste of uh, a pre- precious raw material that water is. But that that's the way it is. So yeah, we, as I we, we spend lots of time you know. Uh, well, drinking and then and then you know we everybody went in the heat interviewing the the riders and everybody was complaining about. I mean, th- th- there was lots you know happening today in the, in the stage, but I think that one of the decisive factors was obviously the heat. You must have raced in temperatures like this, Ian. I mean, what is it like? And the, I mean, spraying water on the road did look like a, an exercise in futility, really. I mean, it must have evaporated within seconds. Yeah, and when I saw that, I didn't really understand the point of it or how far ahead the race they actually were. And, and before we started recording, we talked about, you know, how potentially slippery that could have made the roads. You know, yesterday uh, up to the Climb de Mans, someone had painted, maybe the department had painted this giant yellow streak up the middle of the road, which looked great for them, but probably had there been rain would have been disastrous. And equally today, you know, the, it was so hot and the road does heat up so much more than, you know, the air temperature even that I'm sure that the the large amount of water that was very thinly dispersed across the road evaporated almost instantly. And I noticed that they were also just doing one side of the road, you know, and they're going out on the outside bend of, of a left-hand turn. So all the riders would have been on the left side of the road anyways. Um, I have raced a lot of warm races, a couple of Vueltas and you know, raced out in Australia. And there's been a c- couple of really hot editions of the Tour of California as well. 
And, uh, you know, one of the, I think the maybe benefits of today's stage was the fact that, you know, it wasn't a mountain stage, you know, so the riders actually are rolling at, you know, 40, 45 K an hour. So you do get a fair amount of cooling just through, you know, the speed in which you're moving. But you could see a lot of riders today going back to the car and, and picking up a lot of bottles. And it was interesting to, to see that the UCI kind of returned a rule that they have changed, you know, where riders could kind of throw bottles to fans. And at one point I was watching and seeing some fans, you know, so excited to go grab bottles. And that was something I always enjoyed as a rider is, you know, giving bottles to fans. I did it as a kid, you know, would collect bottles. And up until two years ago, that was the case. And now people can only collect bottles at the specific zones where riders are allowed to dump their trash and bottles. Well, the Cycling Podcast Head of Hydration has just refilled our rosé glasses there. Thank you, Francois. I mean, we will talk about the stage, but I mean, the heat was a kind of star of the day, really. Um, so let's uh, hear from, first of all, Michael Matthews, stage winner, of course. What a difference 24 hours make, because in these uh, couple of clips, it doesn't sound like he enjoyed his day in the heat. And then after that, the, his Bike Exchange Sports Director, Matt White, talking about the heat in the southwest of France today. Just one word, horrible, which is how you describe the, the, the stage today. Yeah, pretty much. After yesterday's experience in the breakaway, to now trying to back up for another opportunity for, the, for a win with the team, it was, it was difficult, but uh, I just had to turn, it off, turn off the, all those bad sensations and just focus on the good ones. And um, we knew we had a good opportunity with Dylan today, so it was full, uh, full focus for that. Not a real celebration to the on the road. I mean, I got a lot of uh, a lot of congratulations from friends in the peloton, uh, which was nice. I was just trying to focus on today and get the most out of today, and hopefully tonight we can have a nice little celebration for for yesterday. After yesterday, uh, what I had to do in the breakaway yesterday to now try and back up today, it was yeah definitely the hardest day for me in the heat. Water on the road. I think by the time we got there, it would have been exactly the same as before they put it down. I mean. We were pouring bottles of water over our head and it was gone in one minute. So I'm not sure how far the water, water truck was in front of us, but this is our sport. We have, we, it's always been like this. We had to ride from A to B with whatever weather is thrown at us. And I mean, we just have to deal with it. The heat today, I mean, it was, uh, well, obviously you had a, a goal, which was to, to set Dylan as well as possible. And you brought him back from behind to, well, you know, try his chances. But one another big factor was the heat. I mean, on the Tour de France, we saw we sometimes have you know scorching heats, but today was really bad, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Look, we're no stranger to the heat. Obviously, Tour down under, it's like this. But you know, it's it's January and in Australia, very similar heat. Actually, the feel. What you've got to do is you just got to pay even more attention with hydration and cooling, and that starts in the morning and that finishes uh, once they go to sleep tonight. So it's a uh, it's a big day. The big difference between Tour Down Under and, and, and here is the stages are shorter. Yeah. Uh, so 120, 130k stage to 190, and also it's a six-day race, not a, a 21-day race. So it will hurt a lot of people today's stage, that's for sure. And then there was all the other things that happened with crashes and with the, with the yellow jersey, with Cruisewick out. There was a lot of action today, and that's also because the guys are getting very fatigued. You know, when you're on your bike for this much time in 40-degree temperatures, uh, mistakes happen, guys. Uh, they lose concentration, and that's what we saw today. How many, how many bottles you you give out on a day like this? Do you think? I have no idea, but we went through the esky a couple of times. That's for sure. And ice socks and waters, and a lot of the water was just for cooling. What it wasn't even for drinking, just to keep the bot the core body temperature down. You, you are, I, I imagine you have bags of ice and all that kind of stuff for the yeah, ride. Yeah, all of that, and that starts. The guys were cooling when they left the bus this morning as well. So it's. Long process to keep the guys cool, and, and that continues now on the way to the hotel and get the, the body temperature down as quick as possible. Rest day comes at uh, just the right time. It does for for everybody, for everybody. Just the last one on the heat, Ian. I mean, the domestiques have a real job to do anyway, collecting bottles. But on a day like this, they must have been back and forth to the car all day. Uh, we saw all the clips of the number of bottles that riders are stuffing inside their increasingly tight-fitting jerseys. Um, I mean, it's a job of work that isn't to be underestimated on any day, but particularly a day as hot as this. Yeah, and I was never 
a rider to really dump bottles on myself. And, you know, I think as a domestique, that's like one of the most frustrating things you can do is you bring a bunch of bottles up and, you know, your teammates just dump two bottles on their head, which of course feels great. But as a domestique, I just work so hard to bring these bottles back to you. And now they're just, they've ended up on, you know, on yourself, but, you know, largely not wasted, but which means you just have to go back and get even more bottles. And it is something that, you know, I've noticed with more riders riding in, you know, race suits now, it becomes harder to actually fit those bottles into your jersey. At one point I saw Tom Scoines go back to the car and he must have had 10 or 12 bottles plus ice socks. And, you know, he looked like the Michelin man just fully pumped up with, with bottles, you know, all around him. And, and equally now, you know, with race radios as well, you know, you have, you just have so much stuff surrounding your body. Although I did notice that he took a little bit of time to deliver the bottles which probably felt nice a bunch of ice cold bottles wrapped tightly around your body how hard is that job though because you're dropping back you're going to the convoy if your car is in i don't know the second half of the convoy you've got to drop back further than somebody whose car's um nice and close to the front of the convoy and then what sort of effort is it to then ride back up through and i guess you still have to go and get bottles when the race is on which makes it even harder right yeah i mean so how it works is you know you raise your hand and the commissary will come up and and radio to your team that you know rider number 120 is at the back of the bunch or what whatnot and then your team car can actually come up to the back of the commissary so they're, they're at the front however on a day like today there are so many riders going back constantly that sometimes you do have to drop five or six cars back just because your car may not be able to get up get up to you and you know today you also these are really sticky and, and slow and and hard roads as well so i mean you're adding you think if you have 12 bottles you're adding you know the weight of Kenny Ellison to your back, you know, to, to try to bring <laughs> bottles back up to the front of the bunch. And, you know, an experienced domestique will strategically keep maybe their, you know, front bottle cage open so they can take that last sticky bottle and hopefully then have easy access to kind of carry that momentum up to their teammates. It can also be frustrating when you, you know, you're rolling back through the bunch and you have a teammate at the back because then, you know, you have to, you lose all this momentum to give them the bottle and then you have teammates up at the front, you know, so more and more we're seeing teams ride in, in a, you know, tightly compact group so you can pass out all the bottles individually. But on a day like today, when, you know, some of the riders are already thinking about the rest day, you might have teammates scattered all over the Peloton. So you might spend, you know, five or 10 minutes going back to get bottles and coming back up and then another 10 or 15 minutes navigating the Peloton to try to get your bottles to the teammates that are in need of them. I mean, that's a very specific analogy. Kenny Ellisond is 12 bidons. It sounds like you might have ridden with Kenny Ellisond on your back at some point at a training camp or something. I don't know. I have not, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, bottles add up. It adds up quickly, you know, and, and you know, especially now with, with riders being in, and teams so focused on, on weight and equipment and aerodynamics, you know, it's funny how we still have this system where you throw a bunch of weight on yourself and make yourself incredibly more on arrow and then try to, you know, go up to the front of the peloton and, and disperse these bottles there's also a factor uh, i w- i was uh, a, f- a friend of mine a french journalist was uh, you did the stage with sandy Cazal, you know for former pro rider what won, won a couple of stages on the tour de france and and Cazal was telling him that on 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 these very hot days as well that, that, that sometimes you're you're so concentrated because of you know all the job you have to do you know looking for the bottles and also because the the the, the tarmac is sticky and 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 you f- you're feeling the heat and 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 sometimes you have lapses of concentration and these lapses of concentration can cause crashes uh so maybe it's an explanation to the crashes we had today what you know have, have you experienced this this kind of lapses of concentration in very very hot days yeah i mean and it's also you know at the point in which jumbo had their two crashes and i think owen duel crashed at one point as well it was kind of the first stage in, I guess, in this entire week that I've been here that has been, there has been a small moment of, you know, controlled racing. When Pola and Honore were up the road, you know, it looked like there was a, it was going to be a relatively traditional sprint stage. So that's when you do see riders oftentimes just kind of switch off. You know, you think, okay, we're 60, 70K to go. There's not much happening. And I think that's what probably happened to, to Yumbo. There was one point when Jonas crashed and he was coming back to the team cars. And I said to Francois, you know, this is when you might make another mistake because you're kind of stressed. You've just heard that, you know, Kreuzberg has crashed and he's dropped out of the race. And then you've crashed. And then this is when you kind of get in a little bit of a panic. And, you know, thankfully he made it back safely into the peloton. But there's no doubt that, you know, the speeds in a slightly more controlled race on a day like today when it is hot, you do just have a little bit more lap of of judgment. And you also have to think there are more riders in the peloton with only one hand on their bars because there's at any given time, there's probably someone reaching down to grab a bottle. So in general, there's less hands on handlebars, which is a more dangerous peloton. 
Well, we'll talk about the uh, Jumbo Visma drama in the next part. Um, and we've talked about the heat a lot there, but the star of the day was undoubtedly Jasper Philipsen. I mean, it's been a pretty miserable tour for the sprinters, hasn't it? There hasn't been a sprint finish since Denmark. All the sprints are being eaten up by the sort of Wout van Artification of the Tour de France. And even today, it looked like that might happen because of the climbing, because of the way that uh, several teams that don't have perhaps the fastest of sprinters, but have a, well, a Mads Pedersen or Jasper Philipsen type, real incentive to try and get rid of uh, the likes of Caleb Ewan I mean Caleb Ewan's probably not that difficult to get rid of at the moment is he he's having a tough time but Fabio Jakobsen as well um, eliminating him from the equation and although Gronewigan got back um, the, the chase to get back on would have taken its toll on his zip at the finish but Philipson he's won a handful of stages at the Vuelta before I think three stages at the Vuelta and uh, a, an impressive finish um, it looked really, really close at first sight, but then when you see the slow motion, he's a half wheel ahead of Wout van Aert, which, I mean, I know Wout van Aert has ridden kind of a Tour de France and a half already, but still, um, Philipsen, a very good win for Alpecin de Koenig, uh, particularly as they've had a, a fairly disappointing tour with uh, Matthew van der Poel very much under the weather. Philipsen had had eight uh, podium placings in the Tour de France in the past, uh, and never been able to win once, or it must be a, a great relief for him, you know, to think he has four, yeah, four second places and four third places, and you you you, you must get nervous, uh, and you know, you, there must come a time when you think think you know I I'll never get it. Today everything, yeah, kind of fell into place as you say because Dylan Grunewagen with with the the, the 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 you know the effort of you know getting back to the front probably lost lots a lot of energy Caleb Ewan is not in a mix as as a disastrous tour de france in disastrous year anyway uh Fabio Jakobsen lost his you know lead out man i mean as you said in the tail of the etap uh, Michael Mokov was drifting away at the back of the so it, it was probably the, the day when Jasper Philipsen could win it, he, he, he almost didn't, you know, because of, of the, the the monster. The guy was everywhere doing every everything. Uh, Wout van Aert, who came very close, you know, well at least contested the uh, the sprint. But yeah, I mean, if you know, if Philipsen had missed that 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 that, that, that stage in Carcassonne. I'm sure it would have been really, really hard for him to. Uh, you know, that that was a day that you know the, the unmissable uh, spring victory for him. And you know, and as you said, for Alpecin, it's a, it's a you know very a great relief. Well, and we finished in well, they finished in Carcassonne at some point last year, and and I saw a photo today side by side of you know this year and last year, and Philipson was on the curb, looked like he was you know had his face in his palms, potentially crying. Um, you know, so he, he did finish here, or we did finish here last year, and I think he maybe ran second. And so to come back, and, and it's also a, it's a pretty tricky finish coming into the line. It's something we did also in 2018, a different kind of run-in beforehand. Um, but there are numerous riders that said, you know, it was it was a benefit to know the final few kilometers because it does get a little bit twisty and turny. It's not a, a straight boulevard to the finish line. He was actually third in Carcassonne yeah. a year ago. That was the day Mark Cavendish won, kind of a against the odds a little bit wasn't it because the previous day they hadn't chased on them what looked like an absolute no-brainer um, for a sprint finish and uh, then that was that slightly uphill finish um, last year and it was Morkov yeah. Merku who was second wasn't yeah. it yeah that, that was the day apparently uh, Merku talked about it in, in an interview and said uh, Cavendish really thought he could you know he, he was totally out of it he was shattered he had no you know strength no energy left and Merku told him well never mind follow me you know and uh, and he really really went so hard that he could have won the stage but I mean he was doing his job and 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 really it's, it's probably the best gift a leader man ever gave you know to his sprinter that, that leading Cavendish to win the, the, the race that day and yeah and Jasper Philipson was actually beaten by by Merku and today you know Michael Markov was was you know an hour back and Philipson winner I mean you know that's cycling you know things change from one year to the other in terms of the sprinters, there's not been a lot for them, has there? I mean, when you look at the route before the race started, obviously a couple of stages in Denmark, very much uh, opportunities for sprinters. But really, slim pickings for them, especially with a rider like um, Van Aert, who, um, well, he's getting in the way in the conventional bunch sprints as well. When we think about 
you know, uh, whether or not Mark Cavendish would have been here contesting wins, there wouldn't have been an awful lot of opportunities. I mean, perhaps now only Paris, because Cahor might be one of those days, it's quite a long stage, and it might be one of those days where everyone takes their, um, you know, lets the break go, and, and it just goes to the finish. We'll have to see. But um, not a great tour for um, the sprinters this year. No, and it hasn't been. And, you know, after the finish, I caught up with Danny Van Poppel, who was fifth here last year. Um, a little bit of history that I learned today from Ed was that his father won here in 1987. So a good town for the Van Poppels. And, you know, Danny mentioned that. And there, it seems to be in the tour that there's almost a changing style of sprinter that can win. And, you know, maybe, you know, obviously Cavendish is, you know, clearly a good climber. And Van Poppel mentions that in, in what we're about to talk to is how good these, cl- these sprinters are still climbing and, you know, the level in which they need to be at now to contest the finish sprint on a hard day like today. So let's hear from... Danny Van Poppel, who was fifth place today. Danny, Carcassonne has been good to the Van Poppel family. Was that, was that going through your head today? Yeah, I know this place uh, from last year. Uh, I knew the, uh, the finish, so I knew I had to go uh, around on the outside and not the inside. Yeah, that was really important, but anyway, it was a hard race, a lot of uh, really warm. I mean, it seems like this tour, obviously the stages dictate a lot, but it's been really unpredictable for the sprint stages. You know, today, a day like today traditionally would have been, you know, a breakaway goes, you catch them and you sprint, but that wasn't the case. The last 50K was a little bit crazy. Has that been the trend you've been seeing? Yeah, you know, in the past, uh, sprinters could not climb really well. But in these days, you have like Philips, uh, Sagan, me maybe, <laughs> that can go really good uphill. It's strange for amateurs to believe that we cl- can climb so well. And there's two more sprint days most likely coming up. Are you going to try to go for it again on those two days? Yeah, I don't know what the team wants because uh, first priority is uh, GC. But yeah, they give me a lot of trust also to pull and to help me. It was really cool. Uh, I enjoy it. Well, Danny Van Poppel, they're riding for Bora Hansgrohe, of course. That explains why... Niels Pollitt and the other Bora Hansgrohe riders were trying to get it all back together on the run-in. His dad, Jean-Paul Van Poppel, was part of the Super Confex team. I think he won, well, he certainly won four stages in 1988. Uh, I think he won the green jersey in 87 after a bit of a deal with Stephen Roach on uh, the last day in Paris. Um, but yeah, fifth place for Danny Van Poppel. And he was fifth last year, as you say there, um, riding for Antomarche. I mean, I think that was the thing that told me how hard the finish was when you saw Alexander Kristoff, their sprinter today, all over the bike on that final climb, just trying to hang on to the last few places on, on the pelotons, uh, you know, tail end as it was going over the top. I mean, it was, it was furious, furious racing. Um, and so to win these stages that you look at and go well however many riders it was that came over the line 50 odd riders together that looks like a bunch sprint but really anything but the run-ins are so tough aren't they yeah they really are and also you have to think that we have a rest day tomorrow so there's a lot of riders in the bunch that know you know maybe they can start their rest day you know 30 40 kilometers early and then you know just kind of roll back in into town you know i really did notice how much this victory meant to Alpecin de Koenig and and you know also something that we've kind of been talking over the last couple of days is how many different teams have won a stage here and you know once again today another team won a Tour de France stage and I caught up with Spiragli at the finish who's part of the team and you know their goal coming in here was to to win a stage and they got that so let's hear from Spiragli. It's been a hard tour for the sprinters a lot of days that just slip away I mean what does it mean for the team to get the stage win today? It's all the time that uh, we are trying to get to the sprint and honestly, in this tour, they, there are not so many chances. So this morning we, we wake up with just one goal, try to sprint. Then doesn't matter if somebody beat Jasper. Yeah, it's okay, it's part of the game. But we wanted to sprint for a victory. And uh, we are here with just six riders left. So everybody gave uh, 120%. It's a really nice result and uh, it gives uh, extra motivation for the last uh, week. Is the main goal now just to make it to the next or the last two sprint, I guess on stage 19 and then stage 21 in Paris. The goal uh, was to win a stage. Today we won a stage, so the goal uh, is there. There are two two more sprints. If everything goes well, we're going to have two more opportunities, and uh, Jasper showed that uh, it's one of the best in the world, so why not?
just wrapping up the sprinters and Mark Cavendish not here of course but still a huge figure the controversy about whether or not he should have been here whether or not he would have won a stage have either of you picked up any uh, intel on what might happen with Mark Cavendish we know obviously not going to quick not going to stay at quick step I, I don't know if I have to say if, if I if I can say that because it's 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 you know it sounds so much like a hoax and wishful thinking but I, in Lal d'Huez I was when I was coming down from the finish I bumped into my old friend uh, Jean-René Bernardo uh, you know who, for, for, you know strange oddly enough I'd, I'd first met in 1986 in Lal d'Huez when he was still a uh, a rider, and we almost shared the room because I, I was up the mountain without a room, and uh, he, he lost his partner, you know, his, his, his partner, his flat, his roommate uh, that day, and he said, "Well, come over to my room," and I, well, it, it didn't happen. I didn't share a room with Jean-René Bernardo, but but Jean-René <laughs> told me um, because, he, as you know, well, he is the manager of Total Energy, and he's got Peter Sagan in the team, and we just were chit-chatting, and he was, uh, and, he, and I said, oh, "I would about taking Cavendish on board," and he said, "Well, it's impossible because Sagan." And and Cavendish that hate each other, and Peter w would never accept that. But he said, but he said, but actually, there's a rumor going on that you know Mark Cavendish and uh, maybe his his agent are looking for a French team, you know, to why? Because to go to a French team, Mark Cavendish would be absolutely sure and certain to do the Tour de France. So whether it's true or not, so I, I told him, oh, so you've been approached? He said, no, no, I haven't been approached because I mean because of Sagan. But I heard that, you know. So you know, this is rumors. This is absolutely, you know, uh, n nothing really serious. But you know, who knows? It, it sounds kind of logical in a way. Well, he has been linked with EF Education Easy Post as well, and uh, I gather that they were interested, but um, just because of the, the salary demands and, and particularly the, the type of team that would have to be built around Mark Cavendish, they're perhaps not in the running, but uh, we'll have to see. I mean, yeah, you'd, you'd have to say someone would take a punt on Mark Cavendish and, and bring him back to the tour next year. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. Go to scienceinsport.com and use the discount code SISCP25 to get 25% off everything. And with these very high temperatures across Europe and the UK, in, in fact, uh, I think the south of England will be as hot as Carcassonne tomorrow. Extraordin extraordinary to think that. But uh, yeah, I've escaped the English heat wave for the French heat wave. But if you're riding your bike, you need to stay hydrated and not on rosé wine. I mean, it's great for hydration, rosé, but uh, not to be recommended when you're doing a lot of cycling. But the Science in Sport Hydro range uh, is a very good way to hydrate before and during exercise. Uh, just pop a tablet in your water bottle and uh, it gives you everything you need to keep hydrated and uh, yeah, replace everything that you're sweating out on the road. So scienceinsport.com and the discount code SISCP25. Now sticking with uh, the theme of fueling, it's time for Breakfast with Boz. Well, the time has come for the final installment of Breakfast with Boz here on the Cycling Podcast. And we finished it off right this morning. I had a great early morning ride, did about 50 kilometers and a lot of climbing, quiet roads. Back at the hotel, just finished some breakfast with Francois and Ed. Once again, it was a hotel-like setting, so I didn't get to choose a pastry, but a croissant. And my first pain au chocolat all tour, which was great. And because it was my final day here on the tour, I found myself really indulging in everything French. I put butter not just on my croissant, but also on my pain au chocolat. And there was a small baguette that I loaded with butter, cheese, and a jam. So trying to squeeze it all in here on my final day at the tour. Unfortunately, I will be heading home. I'm looking forward to getting back to my family. But I'm really just kind of starting to hit my stride here at the tour. I do need to do some laundry. I have one clean shirt left for the last day. And that is my Pedaler de Charme shirt. I actually can't remember when I got it. It must have been in the Vuelta in 2017, maybe. Richard brought it to me on a stage there. So I'm going to don my Pedaler de Charme t-shirt for my final day with you all here on the Cycling Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed 
these Breakfast with Boz segments. And for more breakfast recipes, you can check out Breakfast with Boz, however you download your podcasts. If you need any recipes, when I'm back home in the U.S., unfortunately, I never or very seldom have any type of croissant. So for a more American cuisine for some breakfast inspiration, you can check out Breakfast with Boz. I hope you have all enjoyed this segment and having me on the podcast. I really do hope to come back. So thank you to Lionel, Francois, and Ed for driving me around and having me here with them in France. And until next time, folks, stay safe, stay healthy, and hope to see you over on Breakfast with Boz. Best and most important meal of the day, Ian, breakfast. And as you mentioned, you're wearing your Pedaleur de Charme t-shirt. I can confirm that's from the Vuelta because it's got the red and yellow lettering. And on the Pedaleur de Charme theme, Stacey Snyder is hard at work making a batch of cups for the Tour de France fam. They will go on sale at some point during the Tour de France fam, which starts, of course, as the men's Tour de France finishes on Sunday. And we're asking for nominations for the Pedaleur de Charme of the Tour de France. So if you've seen some charming pedaling over the past couple of weeks, nominate your rider. Uh, the Giro d'Italia winner was Biniam Gamay, and we will get him his cup at some point later on this season. The winner, of course, wins a Pedaleur de Charme mug. Nominate your rider on Twitter at cycling underscore podcast or email us contact at the cyclingpodcast.com and we'll compile a short list and we'll put it to the vote towards the end of the week and we will present the winner with a Pedaleur de Charme mug. Uh, just before we move on to Jumbo Visma's difficulties today, Ian, you had a view on Mark Cavendish and where he might end up. The musical chairs of sprinters, maybe. Yeah, I heard that um, there's a potential link between him and and. Alpeson and, and and it would make sense you know there was talk a couple of years ago when when Cavendish was you know associating a lot of his lack of performance with the bicycle he was on and you know when you look at the French teams that are available there's not a lot of French teams that are on bicycles that maybe would be up to Cavendish's standard and, and nothing against the French bikes but you know he was incredibly happy to come back to Quickstep and, and be unspecialized and so I think when you look at other bikes that he would potentially want to be on you know being with Alpeson on a canyon would be a bike that he would you know probably be happy with and I think at this point in Cavendish's career you know their money is I mean it's important for any you know professional athlete but I think for him the legacy is more important and winning here at the Tour de France is really all that matters to him at this point and so is he willing to compromise a little bit on maybe salary or maybe you know some other factors to be at the Tour de France with you know quality equipment and that's why I initially thought he you know direct energy would be a good fit for him because he is so in love with specialized bikes and the range of products but you know you have to think of other teams that you know are also on kind of maybe more modern bicycles um so it, it would make sense and i think that Alp, alpacin has mentioned that i think uh, phillipson might be going to quick step next year so maybe a maybe a swap it might make uh Lefebvre happy to... I mean, I'm going to need I'm going to need another glass of rosé to get my head around this because Quickstep are going to be Quickstep Sudal and Alpsin <laughs> de Koenig and, Koenig and Philipson's going to Quickstep Sudal and, oh, I give up. I give up on the merry-go-round of riders and sponsors. If everyone could just stay the same for a couple of seasons, that would really help <laughs> me out. Um, Jumbo Visma then. Jonas Vingegaard was on the ground today. Um, they lost Primoz Roglic before the stage even started. He's had a difficult tour, but with the Pyrenees coming up, you know, even Roglic at sort of 75 or 80% would be some use. And then, I mean, their luck really wasn't in because they lost Krausreich. And, um, I mean, you just have to wonder, would they have pressed Roglic to carry on if they'd known how the day was going to turn out with losing Krausreich, because that's two really important riders. Even, as I say, Roglic, even if he's below par, suffering with the injuries, maybe there's something else going on, you know, but could still ride and still do a job, and now they're without both of them. A bad day for Jumbo Visma. On the Roglic thing, you know, he he was out this morning, and, you know, initially I thought, you know, he, he last year he didn't finish the Tour de France either because he went to go prepare for the Vuelta, which in that case made sense because they didn't, the team didn't expect Vingegaard to be in a position to to win the Tour and the team wasn't expected to ride. And so when I heard that he had pulled out today, I was actually really surprised because you know we don't know what's going to happen in the last week and could there be a moment when Roglic riding for 10K in a valley could make the difference between winning and losing the Tour. And to compound that, Kreuzweg, another key climber in the mountains, crashed out. And so I wonder if the team is, is second-guessing letting Roglic go home today. 
all that talk about uh, you know uh, Tadej Pogacar's weak team and the fact that you know some of, of the, the the key riders in, in his team you had to pull out you know because of COVID for George Bennett and others. Now, now we're back to six to six. You know, like uh, it's kind of leveling of the field. I was staying at the Jumbo uh, Visma bus in, at the finish, and you know one of one of the DSs was saying, well, you know, it's 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 not such a big deal because in the last week it, uh, the the team doesn't matter anymore. It's it's, it's a man to man fight to death um, something. But it sounded like wishful thinking. Uh, if you if you if you if you take you know, little signs, uh, this was the Danish tour until today. But but today Jonas Vingegaard crashed. Magnus Kort was the star, the Danish star of of the. Well, nearly the first two weeks of the tour quit. Uh, Mats Pedersen, who had done so well in the sprint, came third. Is it, is it the changing of a trend? All of a sudden, we're entering the third act of the Tour de France, and oops, another twist of uh, fortune. And if now it's, it really is man to man with uh, you know, you know, Jonas Vingegaard and Tadej Pogacar, uh, and we've seen Tadej Pogacar in the Pyrenees before. Well, you know, uh, it, it makes it really exciting what, what, what's, what's coming up. I mean, Sepp Kuss is going to have lots Ooh. of work to do. You know, even Christophe Laporte might have to climb a few uh, mountain passes when, you know, he's, he's basically, a, you know, a sprinter. Um, so, so, I mean, that, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said wishful thinking because you don't need the team until suddenly you need the team. And the thing about UAE Team Emirates is that they've been out of the spotlight now. Yes, I know they've been depleted and they've had sickness in the camp and we don't know, you know, how how are they all doing. Um, But they haven't had to ride um, for the last few days or since uh, losing the jersey. As impressive as Tish Banut has been, and we know he can ride very strongly on the climbs, there's also that difference between being the third or fourth last man and and um, being the man who the pressure is really on and that there isn't anyone else behind you and suddenly the thought that if he leaves Sepkus with just too far to go um, Ian you'll know far better than me but that kind of pressure of knowing that your job um, you know the reliance on you is so intense rather than thinking well if I go another kilometre at this pace that's an absolute bonus for my teammates behind me behind me if you're in a position where it, you're being relied upon to to do that work, it's a completely different ball game, isn't it? It is, and having the yellow jersey is a huge responsibility. And you know, a couple of days ago on the top of the Col de Grand Homme, we heard from a few riders from Jumbo Visma and Greece Nierman, the director. And you know, they were so the team was so confident. You know, the tour had been going so well with you know having the green jersey, taking the yellow jersey, and you know, he said, you know, now the goal is just to take it to Paris. And I wonder after a day like today, if you know they're having flashbacks of of 2020 when they lost the jersey at the last moment and you know it is funny how oh that those kind of curses kind of live you know in the back of your head as as a team especially for the management you know they're starting to think you know we you know everything was on track and and really just in today's stage things went from looking great to looking a little bit shaky a, a very interesting fact you know if you look at it depleted UAE team Emirates you know, as we said for a couple of you know couple of days and for the whole of last week, and now a depleted Jumbo Visma team. There's a team that's not depleted at all. And when you know the, the thing that that made Pogacar can stumble uh, a little bit was the the, the relentless attack by uh, the Jumbo Visma guys, who were you know acting as challengers, sacrificing one guy. There's a team who can still do that now, and it's Ineos Grenadiers. So, you know, that, that's another factor. You know, the th- I've always liked the idea of the third man and the, and, and well, now, I mean, I'm sure, you know, the, the Ineos Grandis guys, you know, well, they, they, they now have a chance, you know, by, you know, to play with the, the numbers. And, and if they really want to send uh, Yates, uh, you know, Danny, uh, Danny Martinez and, and, and uh, well, I, I think probably Garen Thomas at that stage is the protected one. They they could they can really make a bit a bit of damage there. So and, uh, you know who knows you know but maybe we're talking <laughs> Pogacar, uh, Vingegaard and 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 maybe that there's a third man or a third you know a third element in in the, in the mix. I thought I'd missed the best weeks. The best I certainly missed the best middle week of the Tour de France I can remember. I mean every day was absolutely brilliant. Today, uh, in a different way, was a great race for the stage, but also with that 
additional drama of what does that mean for Jumbo Visma in the final week and it, it it's unfortunate for the team of course but it does set up a really intriguing uh, final few stages and, and those Pyrenean stages are not easy are they? Perigude very difficult Otakam okay a bit of a motorway into the sky in a way but plenty of opportunity there to um, put the pressure on uh, I suppose the one thing in Jumbo Visma's favour is that every time Pogacar has moved Vingegaard has been his equal and, and perhaps even just that slight bit better obviously the day he won and took the jersey you know a lot better but uh, sets up a great final week Everyone out there can still vote for their favourite map jersey. Here we go, here we go. Check, check, check. <laughs> fade, fade, fade. Dot is winning, though, despite uh, Francois' attempts to subvert the vote and despite my obvious uh, preference for fade. Um, but go to map.cc to look at the designs and choose your favourite. And as I've said before, uh, a little buffalo motif will be added to the jersey to uh, honour Richard Moore. Um, so the final design will be released after the tour and we'll announce the winner on the Champs-Élysées next Sunday. Now, Francois, this is cassoulet day, uh, my favourite French dish. Uh, Car- Carcassonne is one of my favourite French towns. What do you think of Carcassonne? Is it you know it's quite touristy isn't it but when you drive in and you see it there up on the hill i mean it's spectacular to look at and it's it's charming once you get in there i think no i, I like this town i mean you know southwest southeast is it, it, there's a bit of a rivalry there because here we we're in the rugby country whereas where, where i come from is football country and it, it's even it's even a rugby league area actually which is quite you know uncommon in, in France I mean there are obviously strongholds of rugby league in France but but yeah you've got the touristy parts you've got the old town that's that's actually been rebuilt in that in century is is not in, in, entirely authentic but still you know that there's, there's a nice atmosphere and and I like the new town as well where, where like probably the tourists never go but it's it's it, because it's also authentic, very southwest. You know, there's lots of good wine around here. The food is is often fantastic. Yeah, that I I, I like this place. I've I've been here many times, even on on holidays. And well, remember last year we were not far away, 25 k from here, at Robert Eden's, uh, you know, Grand Café Occitan. The guy who owns Chateau Maris. I mean, it's 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 a, it's a great place for to, for food. It's a great place for wine, uh, and it's 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 kind of becoming the new Po. You know, Po. For the Tour de France, what was was kind of the place where the tour would stop on rest days before going to the Pyrenees, and we seem to be coming more and more often in Carcassonne. So maybe there's a shift of influence from from Po to Carcassonne, and I, I, I wouldn't be the one to complain about it. As I drove in today from Toulouse Airport to Carcassonne, I came via Castel Nordery and B&B hotels are staying at the Etap Styles Hotel on a ring road just outside <laughs> Castel Nordery. Uh, not, yeah, I don't want to defame Ibis Styles Hotel, but Ian, seeing the Tour de France from a different perspective, I mean, what, how do you rate our uh, B&B here in Carcassonne tonight? And and last night the uh, Domaine de Carrière, I think it was called, in Marvejol. 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 Well, I mean, I tend to like places, and, and especially you know, last night what we had in um, what was the name of the town, Francois? Marvejol. Marvejol. Um, you know, I tend to like things that are a little bit smaller and more intimate, and you know we're traveling in a much smaller group than you are with a team, so you're able to actually stay in places that have maybe four or five rooms, and oftentimes, you know, especially at Team Sky, you might have. 30 or 40, you know, staff, riders, you know, so you, you could never stay at a place like this. So you're oftentimes in, you know, a Campanile or an Ibis and, you know, it's very generic, you kind of know what you're going to get, but there's not much flavor or character to where you're staying. And so it's, it's been a real treat to actually become in, you know, to be able to come here and enjoy kind of the authentic French way. Well, I had fulfillment of, a, I was going to say a long held ambition today for lunch my plan a actually was to stop in castel nordery at the maison de cassoulet and try the cassoulet but i was too late they stopped serving lunch i mean i think at lunchtime but um it was 2 30 so it was it was too late so i was going to try and go for the record our colleague ellis bacon who uh, used to work for all sorts of people pro cycling cycling news he co-edited the cycling anthology with me he holds as far as i know the tour de france journalist record for the most cassoulet 
dishes eaten in one tour. He once had four in two days, lunch and dinner both days, <laughs> when down in the southwest. But today, Francois, I had lunch from one of those roadside pizza machines. Oh, which God. yeah? Do you remember we were on the tour a few years ago and in we were Vend- really running out of options in, in the Vendée? Yeah, it what? was. Uh, yeah, I remember it very well. We nearly took a pizza from one of the pizza machines, and it was all the most the most promising. As the the, the machine said, it was French champion for you know pizza machines. I didn't. Well, nobody knew they were a French championship for those things, <laughs> but there, there we were, and we were about to put you know the coins in the. In there, when all of a sudden Richard, uh, always the, the resourceful guy, you know, said, "Oh, there's there's a, there's a there's a restaurant there not far away in Clisson, uh, which looks great," and went to that place. You know, actually, kind of a miracle. It was like nine something. Said, "Okay, yeah, no, you can come come over," and it was great. It was, wasn't you it? Know, a great restaurant. So. Well, we, we missed out on, on, unfortunately, we missed out on the on the machine pizza, and you went for it. Well, you said at the time, actually, those machines are not bad. Mm. And I was like, well, if Francois says not bad, then it must be okay. So I thought I'd give it a go. Um, 12 euros 50, I think it was, for a, a, a kind of a, it was called La Reine. So it was kind of ham and mushroom and olives. Uh, it was not bad. Uh, what was amazing is that it comes out in the box, cooked on a kind of a silver... I mean, the little fellow in that machine—he <laughs> must be—he must be hot on a day like today, <laughs> with the wood-fired furnace and the, the forty-degree heat. Uh, no, a, a miracle. I'm—I'm I'm astonished, really, that they haven't taken off in the UK because, well, I mean, why not? There was loads of them in Castelnaudary, which is one of the key towns of Cassoulet. The other big towns of Cassoulet being. Uh, Carcassonne and Toulouse and a little bit foie as well maybe um, so we'll make an episode about this this dish which has uh, captured you mean, you my mean imagination pizza <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pizza, yeah. Um, we'll make a kilometre zero about cassoulet um, we should wrap up really because it's nearly time to go to the restaurant for dinner a couple of things to mention if you would like to order the Cru de Flaneur collection of wines from Divine Cellars you can do so at divinecellars.com and listen to the podcast Daniel made with Greg Andrews about the collection, which kind of tells the story of this year's Tour de France in wine form. And Kilometre Zero returns tomorrow with uh, an interview that I did with Marianne Martin, the American woman who won the 1984 Tour Féminin. Now, of course, the Tour de France fam starts at the weekend, and Marianne Martin won the first Tour Féminin in 1984. An extraordinary story, and uh, I really enjoyed talking to her about that, so that will be out in the morning. Uh, Before we wrap up, Ian, I've got to ask you, what have you made of the whole experience of being uh, a journalist for the week? I mean, you've ridden the Tour de France, you've finished the Tour de France, you've 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 interacted with journalists uh, as you know very openly, um, but you've seen what it's like from our side of the fence, I guess. I mean, I've really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, it's been nice. It's been a couple of years since I've been back to Europe, and you know, to see a lot of you know familiar faces. And I've I've also realized just what a crazy circus the Tour de France is. You know, just from you know you only see so much of it from within the team bus and you know from the roadside. You don't really see the the beginning, the end. You just see this this you know passing second of you know a town. But it's been a great experience. I've made a lot of great connections here and, and reconnected with a lot of, you know, former teammates and staff members. And, you know, it is amazing what a small world it really is. You know, even staff that are no longer at, you know, the defunct, you know, Katusha Alpacine team or, or Team Sky. You know, they're now at different teams. And, you know, uh, Gary Blem, the who's Frumi's mechanic, he's now at Israel Premier Tech, you know, said, oh, you retired too early. I said, I'm very happy to be here in this capacity. You know, I've, I admire the riders. I have a lot of admiration for them. But to see them, especially on a day like today, it's just... It's just so darn hot, and you know, and to realize that you have one day off tomorrow. You're still most riders are still going to go for a ride, and then you still have an entire week to go. You know, I think back to the day before I came came over here. You know, I was picking strawberries with my daughter and wife. And the next day I was in the Alps, and then now I'm going back home. And, and all this while, the riders and staff, and you know, I guess even journalists as well, were here two weeks prior to me, and will be here a week following you know, my return to the US and it's just an incredible long trip for so many people. Well, thank you very much for joining the Cycling Podcast. It's been great having you on the team. I, just my only regret is that I wasn't here to share more of it with you, uh, but maybe another time. Francois, 
Uh, thank you very much. You've, you're, you're the ever-present this year. I mean, I'm hoping, touch wood, you're going to make it through to Paris with me. Oh, yeah, I, th- I think you are. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a third-week guy, you know. So, you're coming into your own. You're the Ineos uh, Grenadiers. Of yeah, the, absolutely. And I, and I was, I, I, you know, I spent the first week with Mitch, the second with Ian, two absolutely great human beings. Now, that, no, I must say it's, it's a fact. You know, I really enjoyed that company and... Uh, learn lots of things and it was yeah it was really pleasant to and so you know with, with two you know with two guys like this you know uh, in, in our team I, I can't give up before Paris you know <laughs> <laughs> well it can only go downhill from here Francois me and you next week before we go the Tour de Buffalo uh, Ian you've been here you've been riding your bike uh, you've been out uh, recording breakfast with Boz and one of the traditions that Richard introduced to the cycling podcast was slow radio um, which divided listeners I think um, but I liked it as a kind of a, well as a sort of slowing down a, a, an opportunity to just kind of uh, listen to some ambient sound so while you were out on your ride this morning you recorded some slow radio an homage to Richard Moore who of course we lost in March and I think he'd enjoy this The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burney. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.